What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode. And this week, I'm speaking with a business coach who works with real estate agents in the UK. And what's interesting about this conversation is just some of the mindset and belief systems that we have, the self-limiting beliefs, the stuff that holds us back. Now, whether you're an investor or whether you're you know, a budding investor, you're thinking about investing, or whether you're an actual real estate agent, there's plenty of information here. The only thing I'll say is, unfortunately, uh, I ended up using my earpods, my my Apple earpods, for this conversation. I was I was caught uh, in a busy day and um, didn't have the proper mics and stuff, so the audio quality is a little bit poor, and so I apologize in advance. But uh, without further ado, I think you're going to enjoy this my conversation with Mr. Jason Cannon. Jason Cannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you very much for inviting me. Looking forward to the chat. Not at all, uh, Jason. I, we have a, an international audience um, based all over the world. And so there'll be, there's going to be some people that have heard of you, come across you in your LinkedIn page and things like that. But for the vast majority of our listeners, they won't know who who are you and what do you do? Um. I'm what you'd call a serial estate agent, Gavin. So started at 17, um, ran a region for a, for a big bank um, at, at 26. At 31, started my first business, sold sold that. Um, and then 2001, started another business in London, had a couple of offices, employed about 12 people, had a lettings this book is- of about 350 properties. So- Right, so as a letting as a lettings business, basically a lettings agency. Yeah, so, yeah sales, lettings, uh, commercial, block management. We we did we did the whole thing. We did the whole three hundred and sixty of property. Um, and in two thousand and six, I did a qualification, an NLP qualification. Qualified as a hypnotherapist. Always been interested oh, wow. in, in all things the mind. Um, and then about 12 years ago, I got into professional coaching. So coaching, consultancy, training and mentoring. And that's what I currently do. So I support entrepreneurs, normally solo entrepreneurs to start a business, scale a business with an, with an exit plan. So I work with letting agents, sales agents and other associated businesses, you know, in and around the property, property world. So somebody who would like to start a letting agency or a property agency uh, start from scratch scale it up and then build it in such a way as you aren't in it but you're running it and you can actually step away and sell it and somebody will be delighted to pick up the market share that you have grown yeah i mean we can you know we can do these things on our own can't we Uh, i reckon if i'd had a performance coach or i'd had that accountability of a professional coach back in 2001 two three when we started that would have accelerated that business for me i would have made better decisions because i would have had a better sounding board somebody that had been there and done it themselves um you know for want of a better word a mentor um yeah i've always been you know I've always been learning based, so it's not a case of I know best and and I, I can't learn anything from you. I'm always, you know, every day is a school day, isn't it? A bit of a bit of a cliche. ABL, uh, always be learning. <laughs> always be learning. Yeah, love it. So yeah, I, I've tried to escape the property business many times, Gavin, but I always get drawn back into it. <laughs> it's just too interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, we all so, do it, even t- when we're when we're not uh, looking to buy, we're looking, aren't we? We're looking at what's on the market and we're interested in where it's going and everything. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's just if if we if we jump in too soon, we we lose some of the context, Jason. I think what would be useful is maybe take us back before we started recording. You mentioned that you you started work very young, and uh, it'd be great to get a little bit of your backstory and just if you can tell us your early days in business, working right up to the point where you became 
a, a property person or a letting agent or or whatever. Yeah, uh, I wasn't particularly academic at school. My father was a teacher, uh, so he was naturally disappointed in my lack of uh, education. Uh, yeah, he had a desire for me to go to university. I had a place potentially at Brighton University. Um, flunked my O levels as they were then. Um, Dad sent me to college to continue that and then to do some A levels. After about seven months of wheeling and dealing, you know, buying and selling things, uh, you know, CDs, leather jackets. Uh, it wasn't CDs actually in those days. It was it was records. Records, um, LPs, yeah. Yeah, I had a little part-time job in Sainsbury's working in the bakery and I used to do that, uh, get up early in the morning, cycle down there, do my work and then I'd either go off to school or I'd go off to college. Um, so I had a bit of money with behind me that I'd saved up. I'd been working, doing sort of part-time jobs for myself since I was about 11 or 12, uh, selling pet, pet rabbits that I was breeding, uh, doing cleaning jobs. Entrepreneurial, uh, just to say the least, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I loved for, uh, one of the things that I, I loved was was tennis. So I had to have the best tennis racket, but my father and mother didn't have the money for that. So if you want it, son, you got to go and earn the money yourself. If you want to go and play football with your mates on a, on a weekend, that's fine. But you've got to sort out the lifts. I'm not doing that for you, my dad said. So very early on, it was if you want it, you got my permission, go and do it for yourself. So that was a good roll. that was a really good lesson, a good schooling for me, Gavin. Roll up the um, sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, at seventeen at college, I saw a job in the in, in the window of a, a the, the local job centre. Uh, come and be an estate agent. I'd always, you know, looked at property and with envy and thought, oh, you know, I'd love to be involved in that. What someday? So just called them up and said, you know, you've got this opportunity. It's with Bovis Homes, a one year apprenticeship. Got the job, uh, loved it because I learned, you know, about the new homes market, the second hand market, construction, etc. And you know, most weekends I was on a new home site somewhere selling some lovely properties and realized actually I was quite good at talking to people. I was quite good at matching people to property, went to see my boss after 10 months, smashed all the targets that I'd been given and, and said, right, Keith, still remember his name, lovely guy, Keith Carter. <laughs> I said, Keith, what should I do? I've smashed my targets. Where's my company car? Where's my pay rise? And he went, <laughs> slow down, son, slow down. I said, actually, there isn't anything. So I said, okay, what should I do? He said, give this guy a call. And this guy was a guy who ran the most successful estate agency business in London and the South. Called him up, said, I understand you're the guy I need to talk to. He said, yeah, come and talk to me. Two days later, I was working for him. 10,000 a year, £12.50 a sale. Uh, big money. Can you, say, can you tell us who that was? Are they still in business? Uh, they are still in business. They, they're, they're a firm called Jackson Property Services and they modeled themselves know, yeah. in, in, Jackson. Yeah. in a big way on, on, um, on the US sort of realtor market. Everyone had a uniform name badges. We all answered the phone in a very sort of, you know, interesting way. Um, training was fantastic. Uh, we used to work five days a week and then Saturday mornings was training and you'd give up your day off to go training. You didn't begrudge that because no one else was getting training. In those days, it was, there you go, son, there's a there's a pen and paper, here's a phone, get on with it, call some people. But we had some proper training, and I absolutely loved that. Worked my way up there, opened offices, uh, was a manager at 21, was a regional manager at 26, running running quite a few offices. And then at 31, the Halifax had, had bought Jackson's, spent, I think, about a million quid in office, big money. Halifax then decided it wasn't the, uh, the the right place for them and they were losing money and basically sold up. And at that time, I needed a change. I needed an opportunity. A couple of friends said, look, we, we've, we're going to start a business. want to do it with you. So I did that. Again, sales lettings business. Did that for five years. Sold up. This, was your, own, this was your own firm, so. This was, yeah, this was, yeah, I was a partner in, in a firm. Um, and then 2001, again, another person I'd met said, look, I'm uh, I'm going to go into business and I'd love to do it with you. Are you interested? I said, yeah, I'd love to. We talked about that. Within seven months of uh, incorporation, we were in profit. We were the market share agent within 24 months. And we slowly built that business up over 17, 18 years. And then in 2017, had an offer to buy it from somebody that I knew. And it was it was the right time for me. I I'd been doing some coaching and some consultancy and some training. I wasn't really enjoying the day to day. Yeah, I wasn't really enjoying the day to day. And the opportunity to help more people with the coaching was 
was what attracted me into that. So yeah, last 12 years I've been doing that. And yeah, that's why I absolutely love Gavin. Interesting. And tell us, I mean, in terms of the lessons that you learned, uh, like what are the, what are the kind of key learnings from working with Jackson property services that like, was it, was that really fundamental? The fact that they had the training on the weekends and things like that, was that, that was the only firm in town that was doing that kind of thing. Did you take those lessons into your new business with your other partners? Yes. Yes, I did. I always had the mentality of I'll, I'll understand my client, what the client wants, why they want it. And I'll then apply myself as best I can to get them that. Um, you know, I can, I can remember now uh, one of the first properties I ever sold was in a Southeast London suburb of London. I uh, went to see the lady and she had a couple of kids. One was about to start secondary school and she was about four or five miles from getting into the school because of the catchment area. So she had to move. And she said to me, it's been on the market for X number of months. Doesn't Nothing seems to be working. And I really got to get little Jimmy into the school because he's starting in September. So I said, okay, I will do everything I can to, to get the property sold. So consequently, any person that came into the office or called up and said, we're looking for a three-bedroom house. I've got this two-bedroom in X, you know, it's really nice. You'll yeah. probably extend it. So I was determined to help her get her sold and we we did we got her moved and she was just over the moon you know he got into the school and for her that was the most important thing her focus was on this is non-negotiable i'm getting him into the school because the other option for her the school that he was offered was absolutely terrible so you know as a mother she was going to do she could to get him into that school so I, i still remember that probably embellish the story slightly you know but uh <laughs> it's um, interesting you use the term non-negotiable uh that's a term that i use a lot myself in terms of holding myself accountable and and things like that clearly as a as a performance coach and and things like that you're used to holding your clients accountable um i'd like yeah. to talk about that because i think that's helpful and especially this market that we're in now a lot of people, I hear people kind of saying, oh, you know, the prices are, you know, we're, we're not sure if the prices are going to fall. Interest rates are high. The market is bad. Demand is low. There's all of this kind of negativity. And because yeah. of that, people are thinking, I think I, I think now is the time to stay out of the market. How do you feel about that? And, and what would your advice be to people that are thinking about that? I think... We spoke about this before, didn't we? You know, we we yeah. we, we have we're, we have a desire to have shelter, to own our own space and have our own property. So that's that's never going to change, and that's certainly not going to change because of the economy and the circumstances. So if we can make it work, we'll make it work. Um, and in so many parts of the world now, regardless of what interest rates are and regardless of the average house prices. The rental market, you know, it's just skyrocketed, hasn't it? Rental prices have gone up so much that actually yeah. in in many in many cases, it's still cheaper for you to go and get a mortgage at a higher interest rate than it is to pay rent and to pay that for a year or two years and have no security of tenure. And if you can make it work, make it work. And it, I think it's surprising when, you know, sometimes when you have that burden of of a mortgage, that cost, it makes you more determined to go and find that money, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you've got a target, yeah, for sure. you've got some, you've got to go and find it. Um, so one of the things that I talk about a lot is we we've all got some pain somewhere. You know what motivates us to do something? Unless you're very very fortunate that you were born into a lot of money or you're wealthy, the vast majority of us there is some pain. There is some pain somewhere and some consequence. So as a coach, what I will do is my, my my goal is to get to know you better than you know yourself and help you then self-discover where that pain is. So what is the motivation for you to better yourself, to improve yourself, to aspire to buy the bigger property or have a different lifestyle or spend time with your children? So one of the questions that I, you know, I start with is what's your definition of success? Some people, it's, it is all about the money. 
some people it's all about time with their family i was fortunate that for me that was non-negotiable because when i grew up i didn't see a lot of my father because he was always away teaching uh, he ran a couple of busy schools at the weekend he was doing other things he was doing timetables and marking work and seeing teachers and all the rest of it so you know he would drop me to football and then i would get a lift back or i would make my own way and wouldn't see him for you know a few days so for me when it came to having kids one of the things i said that's going to i'm going to feel like i'm a success is spending time with my kids growing up and being able to meet them from school one day a week, take them to football on a Saturday or Sunday or whatever day it was, be involved in their their life. So for me, success was spending time, time. with the family, spending time with the kids, mm. time. We don't get it back, do we? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when you when you're 25, 30 and you're perhaps starting a business, your definition of success is is generally money, isn't it? Generally um, speaking, yeah, that's true. Generally speaking. So it's it's finding finding that finding you know the the motive. It's, it's the same with um same with the buyer, same with the seller. How motivated yeah. are motivated? you? Yeah, is this move about? Is it about the money or is it is is it about the move? What's most important to you, the money or the move? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you, you've got to ask that question and highlight that with a with a client. So find the find the pain and you'll find the motivation and then help them discover the solution. That's an interesting one. Yeah, and. I think earlier we were talking about, you know, we we're talking about buying a property here. And obviously it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be exclusively for your own personal use. You can house hack nowadays where you buy something that's larger than you need. And you can obviously rent out the upper floors or the lower floors or whatever, and keep something for yourself. And there's a way to do that. But yeah. you mentioned an interesting figure that the, the fixed or upper at 10% below market and yeah. a refurbished property is usually valued 20%. So there's a 30% margin there. And that's yeah. the one that people yeah. should be focused on. Is that 30%? Absolutely. Yeah. My experience with most agents, Gavin, is that they are not very good at, uh, they're very they're very good at missing opportunity. Very good at missing opportunity. And why is um, that? What, it's generally a lack of experience, life experience. Right. You know, I think in, in the UK, the average age of an estate agent is 23. The average uh, age. And, yeah, and that twenty-three-year-old estate agent hasn't bought a property themselves. So, so they're trying to sell something they don't. They don't actually. They're not. They don't own themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and they've never been through the experience. They don't have. How can they be empathetic with a with a vendor and a, and a purchaser? And and more importantly, how can they spot an opportunity? You know that that development plot, that that land on the side, that land at the back, that airspace yeah. development, or you you know all the kind of things that you you and I would spot and notice the vast majority of agents don't see. miss those things they miss those things so it's an education thing isn't it there's something um, i want to ask you it, it when it when it comes to that i have a, there's been people asking me a question recently about they were going in to buy a property and they were saying gavin what questions should i ask the agent and I'm thinking as a as a serial estate agent, you're probably the best man to ask that. Like in terms of if you were advising somebody going in to look at a property, like what are the key questions that you think you said earlier before we started recording that ask better questions? And uh, I'd love to yeah. know what you think. What are the best questions to ask before you buy something? Well, it depends who I'm who I'm working for here, Kathleen, doesn't it? Because yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Typically, I'm working for the seller, so I'm going to. One of the questions I'm going to ask the seller is, when you purchased this property, what what did you use to negotiate the price down? And they'll generally give me something, and then I'll say, okay, sounds like a strange question to ask, but the reason I ask is because then we can plan how we deal with that. Yeah, know? yeah. Objection uh, handling. Yeah. Objection handling. Yeah. So. Key questions for a purchaser st are going to start with their motivation and their model that they're using to buy a property. Are they are they basing it on a yield? Are they basing it on a growth potential value based add. on the area? You, yeah, exactly. Value add. So your different investors use different models, and I, I've come up with you know all of them. You know the guys and girls that turn up with a calculator, and you know based on what you're asking for this, I'm going to take X off, and it's worth Y. So yeah, it, it differs depending on who who you're talking to and who you're working for. I don't know if I've really answered that question. 
I was just Clearly. I was just curious if if anything like stood out um, because like I've been struggling with the question myself because I've been thinking to myself like is this something I could create like a checklist for but it's so nuanced when you're looking at a property because of all the reasons that you've outlined that you kind yeah. of think to yourself this this is something that you'd end up with an encyclopedia type you know choose the you know choose your questions from the following 25 pages um so yeah probably an unfair question to ask <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably flip it. And actually, I'd probably if I was interviewing an agent that was going to sell this investment property for me or, or rent it and manage it for me. Those are the questions I think would be easier to formulate because yeah. I, I want an agent that A, I can trust and B, has got a track record of exceeding expectation in terms of value. And how do they do that? What's their marketing like? Are they just a stick a board up and put it on the Internet? Or are they doing some proactive marketing? You know, what circle of influence do they have in terms of creating competition for that property? So I'd probably, you know, getting a list of questions for agents is an easier. So I could do that. You know, what criteria questions for the seller when it comes to I'm an investor and I own this own this property and I'm thinking about selling it. Here's my questions I'm going to ask my agent before I employ that agent. Um, yeah. How do you create competition? What's your strategy for ensuring we get the best price? What's your what strategy for ensuring the deal goes through quickly? How do you qualify buyers? How do you negotiate with with my money? It's a hot topic, isn't it? Negotiation at the moment. At the um, moment in particular, yeah, with the market the way it is. Yeah, just the, the mindset yeah. at the moment. I think people, people feel a sense of scarcity. Um, mm -hmm. because of the rates and the fact that the, the that nice rental margin that they were enjoying a year ago is suddenly gone now on interest rate hikes and so there's a sense of scarcity there and possibly the thing is no longer cash flowing positively for them and so yeah. that puts that that scarcity mindset puts you at a distinct disadvantage in terms of your clarity of thought and uh, it'd be interesting you know given your your coaching kind of background in just in terms of trying to move away from that scarcity mindset and to try to kind of get your thinking on a clear and level playing field. Yeah. I think if you, you know, if you looked at land registry data in the UK, you can clearly see how prices have moved up and you, you can monitor that. So you can say to somebody, well, if you'd waited here, you know, your, your, your mate down the pub is saying to you, wait, wait, Gavin, wait a couple of years. Well, if we did this back in 2008, Let's look at the prices in 2012 when the market was absolutely crazy busy, when people yeah. were bidding up offers left, right and centre. How how would you have felt then if you'd waited two years or three years? A, you'd have paid more for it and B, you'd have missed out on this opportunity to, to again, to leverage that two or three or one or two properties. So let's look at historic data to actually let's let's present the evidence to you. So it is, you know, it's real evidence, isn't it? It's not opinion. Yeah. And I'd also say that, you know, the days of get, of just having a traditional job that you're going to be working in for 30, 40 years, paying into a pension, it's unlikely you're going to have one of those jobs in your career. So how else are you generating income? You know, putting money into a, into a, a pension is probably not going to give you much of a return. And they're certainly not performing particularly well at the moment. But one thing's for certain, we're going to have a short, we have a shortage of property, don't we? Yeah. We, there's we a shortage a of housing housing yeah yeah we have a burgeoning population that's not going to change and we have a shortage of property so if you are you know if i play monopoly with you i'm, I'm whatever i land and i'm buying <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good point yeah that's how you win uh, the game yeah. that's how you win the game and, and you know then you're going to have those peaks and troughs aren't you you're going to have difficult times but you know the no key risk is you know, I was just going to say the key. The key is to leave you have a have a sufficient of a margin between your expenses and your outgoings that you can weather that storm, because that's yeah. the big thing. Is it's the short, it's the cash flow, is the killer. If you don't have cash, you're forced to sell. Whereas nobody really cares if if you bought it for two hundred and it falls in value to one seven five for three years. But then it bounces back to two hundred, and then continues on to two twenty five or three hundred or whatever. 
I mean, those dips don't really matter as long as it was cash flowing for the, throughout the entire period. Yeah. No different to stocks and shares, is it really, I suppose? Yeah, I think, you know, I've got a, a small portfolio of properties that I um, have owned and purchased over the last 20 years. It now provides a reasonably stable income for me. It was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And I didn't buy my I didn't I didn't buy my first one until I was uh, 31. No, sorry, 36. Wow. So it wasn't okay. like I wasn't, wasn't like I started early. That's a, it's, a, it's a good it's good for people to hear that because I, I hear a lot of I, I do a bit of coaching as well and I hear my the guys that are in their 20s like early mid 20s and a lot of them are feeling this sense of urgency to get on the ladder as fast as possible because they don't want to miss the opportunity yeah but the worst thing you can do is is, is buy badly uh, is is like I mean, definitely my advice at the moment, even in this weak market that we're in, like supply is low, demand is high, but the affordability is the question. And uh, I think the big thing is you don't stop looking. You continue to look, but you're looking for a good deal. And you're never going to find a good deal waiting for the market, you know, to, to get to a certain place. You have to be continually on the lookout because you, even if the market is still, you know, maybe it has another year to fall, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of average sense, but yeah. you could have the best opportunity of your life offered up in front of you in three weeks' time, and yeah, you know, you're not at the bottom, you're not at the trough yet, but you no. still just happen to be in the right place at the right time, looking correctly. Yeah, and realistically what would you rather would you rather buy in a rising market or a falling market for me i'd rather buy in a falling market because then I've, the bigger the, the bounce back is going to be even bigger isn't it and my opportunity to to find that seller that is it's about the move and not about the money and leverage yeah. my position so that i can get a bargain get a deal because they're not selling it because they they have to get x they're selling it because they need to move to y so yeah, yeah. Uh, the motivation is different when, when in a in a falling market, people who are selling there's an urgency to sell yeah. because they feel like that if they don't get the two hundred today, they'll be getting they'll be accepting one eighty in a six months time. So there's an urgency there. Whereas in a rising market, people who are selling, you don't meet the two hundred. There's like I'll just I'll just wait because it's a rising market. I'll probably get two ten from somebody if I hold on. You know. Yeah, and then the, the the one they're buying, the two fifty they're buying is then two sixty and or two seventy. So it's all relative, isn't it? Yeah, that's the education piece as as an agent or an investor. You know, I I did some coaching w- with a lady who owned a property with an ex partner, and she was basically faffing around over about ten thousand pounds. She she was going through so much stress trying to negotiate with him. He wasn't budging. She put her life on hold for about a year and then a load of stress. And I said to her, and and remind me how much you're doing, how much you're doing this for. Yeah. Yeah. And then she sent me a nice message a couple of days later, just to say, do you know what? I realized that life's more important and you know, the, the hassle and the aggravation I've been through, I've just now moved on. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a make or break situation and yeah, the money would have been nice. But she'd probably still be arguing a year later. So people get entrenched when there's a, a marital split or any of that kind of stuff, and it can be very difficult to give an inch because usually there's a lot more baggage there as well. There's not just simply that you've split, but maybe there's infidelity or some sort of betrayal viewed in the background, and so that feeds into the emotion, and you're kind of thinking. Yeah. I'm not given an inch here because I've done nothing wrong. And this, and, and uh, yeah, it can be. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in my own sort of coaching stuff is, is that there's, there's four E's that can really detrimentally impact your career uh, as an investor. And two of them are entirely under your own control. And that is your ego and your emotions. And yeah. You know, there's nothing like nobody is pulling the trigger other than you. You're the one who's getting worked up over something. You're the one who's getting entrenched. You're the person who's 
all you have to do is let go of that and have kind of clarity of what you're trying to achieve. And that's the other then, the other two E's are the ones that are outside of your control and that you're a passenger. And that is the economy. And then events that can take place that are completely outside of your control, whether that's the COVID pandemic or whether that's the, you know, the, the airplanes that crashed into the World Trade Center in 9-11 or whether that's yeah. some something happening in your own life, like, like a divorce or like a death in the family or something like that. Events, yeah. Like nobody gives you a timetable saying this is when that event is going to take place and it's going to create all sorts of havoc for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I remember going into, obviously going into lockdown and um, with my buy to let portfolio and, and saying to my wife, we didn't have any rent warranties at the time. I think we had one, uh, maybe one or two. And I said to my wife, I'm going to, we're going to we're going to get these rent warranties now because who knows what's going to happen who knows you know yeah. all of these tenants could be out of work in in a year's time or six months time fortunately didn't have to use any of them but that insurance just meant that we could sleep at night because we didn't have that yeah. worry it's no different to if you're if you're in business and you're running a successful business it's you know have some have some proper life cover so that yeah, if yeah. you're not around you know it sounds obvious doesn't it you know Life cover and serious illness cover as well, yeah. because uh, I know, yeah, critical illness. Like, I mean, the worst thing that can happen to you, you know, is obviously that you're hit by a bus or something like that. But but outside of that, going into hospital for surgery and being out of work yeah. for three months or something like that. Like, how do you get by through that period of time if you're working for yourself or something like that? You know? Yeah, it's massively overlooked, isn't it? It is. And so a lot of people, people you know, think at in- the idea. Tell me this, Jason. Yeah. Uh, yes, never. you 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 coach uh, estate agents um, and help them build up their business. the The world has changed quite a lot in the agency business these days. You've got artificial intelligence coming on stream. You've got social yeah. media. You've got. Can you just give us some of the the top kind of areas that you need to pay attention to? Um, has that changed in the last number of years from how you might have coached people 10 years ago? Yeah, I think it's definitely changed in terms of uh, the opportunity to to beat your transactional agents. You know, the vast majority of agents are, are transactional. We're not interested in a relationship. And we're also caught between the the listing models and the sales models. You know, so many businesses are great at listing houses, but they're not great at moving their customers. Um, You know, some of the statistics are frighteningly bad. London agents, I can give you an example. London agents that are listing agents will move about four and a half out of 10 of their customers. And if you're working, if you're working with an agent that's more hands on and deals with a smaller number of stock and is very relational, they're moving about six and a half of their customers, six and a half out of 10. 20% more. Um, so we, we've seen it. We, we are seeing a massive shift from that, from transactional to relational. Uh, you know, we, we are, you know, we're lagging behind the rest of the world when it comes to how good we are in as, as real estate agents, how professional we are, how process driven we are. And we're getting better at that. The, the money and the fees are still shockingly low in the vast majority yeah. of businesses. Like uh, um, that's something that that's something that really stands out for me because I know that UK and Ireland are very similar in terms of our fee structures, and you know one percent to one and a half percent is the kind of you know sales price. I sold uh, an apartment in New York City a few years ago, and I was absolutely staggered that I had to play the agent six point seven percent sales. Yeah commission and i was like huh how much like <laughs> and uh yeah. they kind of said uh, this is the standard rate like this is not us like screwing you over like this is what everyone pays yeah. and then on top yeah. of that there was some other you know state you know tax that you have to do and all this kind of stuff i was i was shocked but then i thought you know we are that's probably one of the reasons why it is so transactional is because the fees are so small and so slim that you really have to take that kind of shotgun scatter approach and try to get, you know, cover the yeah. 
Yeah, I think the other part of it, Gavin, is that on average, most estate agents only stay in the job for about two years and then they move on. So if you're working in one town for two years, you, what is the incentive to build relationships with the local people, with with local trades and yeah. businesses that are going to refer and recommend? You're not going to have that repeat business, yeah. are you? Um, yeah, whereas that's an interesting are, stuff. Yeah, whereas if you're the great agent in, you know, in in the suburb of Dublin or the suburb of London, and you're going to be there for longevity, you can afford to do some of the important things that are going to help you build your business for the future. You're not thinking, well, I've got one eye on the door anyway, Gavin, I'm out in two years. Yeah. Um, I'll go and do something else. I'll go and go to another firm. So we're seeing this shift to the self-employed brokerages. We're seeing the shift to more niche agents more niche businesses that cater for a smaller patch uh, really hyper focused on a smaller area and building the relationship the americans do it well the south africans do it well the australians do it well um we're seeing a shift in northern and southern europe with regard to that as well um as you say the uk and ireland i think we're we're lagging behind somewhat but a change is happening a change is definitely happening for the better it's and i've always I've always been very client focused, you know, and I think that's that's always stood me in, in good stead. And having had a, a quite a successful lettings business, that is less transactional than a sales business, isn't it? Because you tend mm. to work with those landlords for longer. You really get to know them. And even if you just have a conversation once a year, you know, Gavin, what are your plans in 2024? Are you reinvesting? Are you selling? What, what, you know, what's the goal? What are you up to? You wouldn't be having that conversation with your sales clients. One of the things I say to agents is you, you've got to do a real, sim, real simple lead generation tactic is have anniversary valuations with your previous, with your past customers. So yeah. if you bought through me last year, I'm going to offer you a, a, a market appraisal next year. Come and see what you've done. Ask you some questions. Who's selling next in your road, Gavin? Who of your friends and family need, need the help of a great agent? Simple, isn't it? Yeah, very simple. Um, but you know we don't we don't do that. We go next, next, next. I said this to I was I was doing some coaching with a it wasn't a real estate business, but it was an an entrepreneur, and I said to him, "You already know all the people you need to know." That little sentence when I saw him the following week, and I said, "Right, uh, let's let's review where we are and what you did last week," and he said. Can I just stop you there? He said something that you said to me last week really resonated with me. And he said, I really, it, I took it home and I then said it back to myself and I realized, shit, I don't need to chase new people. I just need to ring the people that already know me, like me and trust me. And he said, yeah, yeah. it's so simple. And I said, yes, Tom, yes, Tom, I love it. <laughs> but we don't do it. It's we? a very good we, point. We, yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, like, it's so much easier to work with an existing client than to recruit a new client. I know you, I trust you. Uh, and so why do I need to, why do I need to go and find somebody else? So one of the, one of the simplest things to, to teach any business owner is how to ask for referrals and recommendations in, you know, in very, very simple language. What advice would you give me, Gavin? What advice would you give a small business owner to find more business? Now, the fact that I've asked you that means I value your opinion. You're going to go away and think about that you're perhaps going to you know you're going to like the fact that i've asked you and i trust you enough to ask you and you you will go away and think about that and at some point in the future you could be you know in the pub with your buddies or you could be watching rugby or whatever and someone's going to say gavin what do you think i'm thinking about selling this and you're going to say ah i know who you need to speak to yeah yeah <laughs> so planting the seed yeah so the seed yeah yeah a coach said to me uh, a few years ago and I'm showing my age now. He said it, it. I call it my Columbo question. He said it's one more thing. Ah, yeah. Before you go, one more thing. Yeah, yeah. Peter Falk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, McDonald's added about what did they add about twenty million to their bottom line just by asking one more question. Yeah, yeah. Would you like? Do you want to supersize? Do you want? Do you want? Do you want, do you want first one? Do you want fries with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then do you want to go? Do you want large? And in business, it's no, you know, it's no different. If if you already know me, like me, and trust me, why wouldn't, why shouldn't I ask that question? Yeah, add a little bit of humour to that and talk about McDonald's. And uh, 
people remember it. That is good. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, it's, it's a simple business. It's a people business. And what agents don't do enough of now, and investors don't do enough of now, is just picking the phone up. You know, we rely too much on digital messages, WhatsApps, emails. Just pick the phone up. Pick the phone up Have and say hi. What are you up to? How can I help? You know, help them before you ask for something. And you know, one of the things that I say to to my guys and girls is you. Be hyper focused on your niche market, and don't have that. You know, you you used the word scattergun earlier, which is exactly right. You know, we we're distracted by shiny objects. A property here, a property there. Decide on your, you know, if we if you and I were running a restaurant, we decide on our target audience, wouldn't we? We'd decide on our menu. We'd keep it simple. We'd decide on our pricing, and we'd say, right, who's our ideal customer? What do they look like? we'd we'd write we'd write it out wouldn't we they you know they're going to be this age this target. age they're going to come that's our target and we'd be really focused on that um it's so true and, and it should be no different with real estate you know pick your market there's a big enough you know find the market in the market um and it, as an investor go and educate go and build your network of agents educate those agents help them find you opportunities because my observation would be that most of them are not very good at that and they miss a lot of opportunities. So build your network, um, build it local to where you want to be successful, help them. And then in turn, they're going to help you um, pick the phone up and have those conversations. We are in that age now of collaboration more, aren't we? For sure. When, when I first started, we, we used to, we used to joke about this all the time, Gavin. If there was ever, if we ever had a property that was on a multi-agency with, with two agents, uh, the things that agents would do to ensure that you couldn't get into that property, or <laughs> yeah, no, it sold that one. I just rang the office, Gavin. Didn't they tell you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's protecting their. It's funny. It's uh, that's again the scarcity mindset, rather than having an abundance mindset. Yeah, the best agents I work with now have got international they've got national and international connections so if they get asked a question if they're working as a buyer's agent for an investor or a buyer um, and they say we want to buy in dublin or we want to buy in portugal or wherever they've got a network of people they've got someone they can ring and say hi john hi gavin you know can you help this client for me there's a lot more of that that goes on and that's a good that's a good thing isn't it for sure uh, Jason, I'm I'm conscious of time. What I wanted to do is um, I have a couple of questions that I like to ask my guests. The first one is the best advice that you've received in your career. One of the one of my mentors was a Kiwi guy, a guy called Dennis Quinn, no longer with us, sadly. And he was an absolute he was absolutely brilliant at slowing everything down. Slowing He's, everything down. He slowed everything down. So if he was talking to a client and it was an important point he wanted to get across, he would he would do that thing. He would just sort of push everything out of the way on a desk if you were sat opposite him. And he would he would then you'd go, oh, what's going on now? Dennis is going to say something profound. <laughs> um, and he didn't it wasn't necessarily always profound, but what he did was he then you would then pay attention because there was no noise. And he would then deliver what he wanted to deliver. You know, he would say things like, you know, a, a, a client would question his fee. And he would then just stop dead and he would say, well, that's exactly why you need to work with me, Gavin. So he would. <laughs> slow you know, down. He would slow everything down. And because what happens is, it, particularly in negotiation or when you when you're when somebody puts up a barrier towards not using you or not doing something that you would like them to do, we speed up, don't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't, you don't, you don't, you've not listened. You don't understand. We go to that place of fight or flight and we, we go at a hundred miles an hour. And what he did was he'd take two or three breaths and he would then look, look at you, you know, dead in the eye. And he would then, he would say, my fee is not up for negotiation, Gavin. And, we, and then he would just wait and you'd go, Okay then, yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I accept. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Slowing down to speed up, I think, and you know, and what he was very good at, he was very good at listening and writing things down. Uh, this is what that's you it. said. This is what I heard you say, and he'd then play it back to you. 
to confirm a he'd listened and b he understood yeah i think that's a really strong point i've done that before and I, and it works really well because the i think a lot of the time when it comes to negotiation the person that you're dealing with primarily want to know that their motivation is understood and that you've heard their needs and that you're not just there like okay we'll sell this property for no no i want you i want to know that you understand yeah. my motivations here and so just pausing things slowing it down and repeating back and say just so we're clear this is what this is how i've taken it these are these are the driving sort of points uh, that are driving you yeah. or whatever mm, yeah good advice we have so much, yeah we have so much distraction in our world don't we we have you know notifications on our phone we have digital messages and we we really have time to to slow it down and to think about what it is we really want this is what i've heard you say we talked about a solution and you agreed at the time that was a good solution yeah and he was very good at nodding at people and and then they would nod back to him um i don't think he realized how good he was gavin that was the unfortunate yeah unfortunately Um, and and you say he's not with us anymore He's not, sadly. No, he's not. You know, uh, I, he used to, on a regular basis, he would take me across the road, was a pub across the road, and he'd say, oh, come on, let's go for a half. And it was because he wanted to he wanted to teach me something, show me something. So I'm really fortunate that I had him in, in my life as a 18, 19, 18, 19 19-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so slow it down, listen, and, and, and perhaps if you are that, you know, 18, 19 year old Jason or Gavin, get yourself a mentor. Yeah, and yeah, go for and sure. Um, the yeah. other question I had for you, Jason, is uh, so I'm not going to ask your age now, but you've been in business for a long time. Um, if you had an opportunity to turn back the clock and speak to 18 or 19 year old Jason, what advice would you give yourself? It's uh, a really good question. Um, I'm not sure I would have listened at 18 or 19, uh, not, <laughs> yeah. not, not, not knowingly listened. I would have probably, I'd probably say read more. And, you know, I've realized in, in later life that I've, I've got a thirst for knowledge. You know, learning things is what fuels me. Yeah. I always lead with curiosity as I love the word. So I would definitely say to my younger self, read more, be more open, be less, less judgmental be less biased because our, you know, our bias gets in the way, doesn't it? So, so many, so much of the time, even if we don't realize it or, you know, accept it, it does get in the way and yeah, be, be more open to the possibility that you're not right. You know, confidence is a good thing, but there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. You know, I, rem- I, I even remember as a as a 20 year old, my mum saying to me, you're not too big, you know, <laughs> for me to give you a slap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's uh, funny you say that. I, it reminds me of a couple of years ago, uh, I, I created a podcast and I and I referenced the difference between property and cryptocurrency. And I, I just sort of said that in my view, cryptocurrency is overvalued and that it's there's going to be a crash because it doesn't have this inherent value. Uh, you know, there's, there's no kind of underlying value to the asset. It's really just people paying more than the person who bought it before them. And I said, you know, if you actually go down below that, there's not a huge amount to support it. And this created quite a bit of controversy and a couple of Guys wrote back saying, Gavin, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, crypto, we can't compare the two, blah, blah, blah. Of course, you know, fast forward two years and those guys probably lost their shirts. Uh, of, you know, of yeah. course, Bitcoin is bouncing back now and people will kind of use that. as. But an awful lot of people put money into these different coins out there that have completely gone under and like there's nothing to show for it now. So yeah. it's uh, it's like yeah. people people who say it's different this time and find out that no it's not that you know the voice yeah. of it's in, reason yeah it's, it's interesting how we, we've come full circle haven't we because we come back to bricks and mortar you've got something you can touch you've got something that has some intrinsic value 
whereas your crypto or your your stocks and shares they don't have that same you, you can't feel it and touch it the, the tangibility so from, from of it me, is, is is attractive yeah I, I think people like the tangibility that like worst case scenario you can move into the place you know you know what i mean it gives yeah. you some alternative use case rather than just sorry you've lost your money yeah and you know I've sold hundreds and hundreds, thousands of two-bedroom uh, flats, apartments, houses, and that was always the, you know, to your first-time buyer who's worried, or oh, I'm worried about my mortgage being this X. Well, you know, you can always rent out that second room. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Always look on the bright side. And, and you know, that's reality, isn't it? You know, yeah, the amount of investors that bought one-bedroom flats and turned them into, bought studio flats, turned them into one-beds and bought one-beds and turned them into two-beds. Uh, for that exact reason, just gives them the confidence that they've got that if they need it. Yeah, Airbnb. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, if people wanted to learn more about you and your various teachings and stuff, what's the best place to find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can find me on Instagram. I don't I don't have a massive following on Instagram, but it's Jason MJ Cannon. Uh, I'll put some Instagram. links in the show notes. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, Gavin. Oh yeah, LinkedIn. Um, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. I've got a reasonably big audience there and it's all educational stuff. It's all it's all sharing stuff. And yeah, if anyone's interested, you know, reach out. I always love, always love to help. Well, Jason, uh, wishing you the best of luck with everything. And uh, you and I should stay in touch because it sounds like we uh, mentor some similar people and groups. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the join my tribe thing over on the right hand side this will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter all of these links are in the show notes below that's all for now i will see you guys in the next episode